Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. The New York Mets somehow lost a frickin' series to the Washington Nationals. We're all depressed. Some of us are thinking, all right, the division race is over. This team sucks. F everybody. Before we get started, and I try my best to talk some of my fellow Met fans off the ledge, I let you know that I am recording this from my car. Uh, I was visiting my family this weekend. And there isn't enough room for all of us to stay at my parents' house. So we have a motel about a few miles away. And since Hoff and I like to record this very late at night, I didn't have any place to record it since the kids are sleeping. So I'm in my car right now. So I, I hope the audio is good. You can hear me, right, Pete? You hear me loud and clear? This is phenomenal. By the way, is your wife jealous? Because mine, I think, is at times. Jealous of the Rico? Oh, very, very jealous. She says to me, "Why but are that, you? But not... <laughs> Why are you leaving at midnight to go into your car in the middle of nowhere? What are you doing, honey?" <laughs> yeah, no, my my wife. I, I I'm like, I have to go somewhere. Like we were at my sister in law's house, my brother in law's house, and I'm like, I have to, I have to leave. And she's like, Well, wh- where are we going? I'm like, I have, to, I have to do a podcast with Evan. And it's very intimate right now. Like it's like it's like what we we're having a good time with family. I have to go do something else with a partner of mine. It it feels very awkward at the moment. Yes, we're making love <laughs> to each other right now in front of everybody. Look, it's it's Labor Day. It's Labor Day weekend. Everybody's doing something, and we felt committed to Rico Bronya. Committed to all of you to make sure you got your podcast, especially coming off a weekend that, I mean, let's just call it like it is, was probably the worst weekend the Mets have had all season long. Because think about it this way. The New York Mets have lost nine series this entire season. or It's a little bit more than that. I think it's actually 10 series this entire season. But I want to list off who they lost series to. And then you'll really fully put in your brain how god-awful this weekend was. The first series they lost all year long 
was at home to the Seattle Mariners, which at the time was a major disappointment, but we all kind of knew they were going to lose the series eventually. And as you see, the Mariners are on the verge of breaking their streak of missing the postseason. Uh, they haven't made the postseason since 2001. That's going to change in 2022. The Mets lost two out of three to the Mariners. The Mets lost two out of three to the San Francisco Giants, who at least at the time appeared to resemble a playoff-esque team. They lost two out of three twice to the San Diego Padres, once in San Diego, once at City Field, right coming out of the All-Star break. They lost all four games they played against with the Houston Astros, two in Houston, two at City Field. They lost two out of three in Atlanta a few weeks ago, obviously, the team breathing down our throats. They lost two straight games to the New York Yankees and the Bronx. Those are the series that the Mets have lost. And I think we'd all agree that while some of those were a little disappointing, none of those were bad. Think about it. All of those teams are either good or really good. The Mariners are a playoff team. The Padres are a playoff team. The Astros are the best team in the American League. The Yankees, despite their recent struggles, lead their division. The Braves are on pace to win close to 100 games. Uh, they're all, I don't want to say good series losses because they're all frustrating at the time, but they're all acceptable. This crap we just saw this weekend is unacceptable. And in a way, everything I'm saying, I guess you could take it as a compliment that here we are going into Labor Day weekend, and this is the first time all season long the Mets have lost a series in which you could scream from the largest mountain or building, holy crap, that's garbage. Because this hasn't happened all season long. They haven't dropped series to garbage teams all season long. And they just did. And it happened at the worst possible time. And it happened coming off a great series win against the L.A. Dodgers. And here's the other problem. And I've said this throughout the year, and it happens again. The problem is the Atlanta Braves are giving us, the New York Mets, zero margin for error. You know, if the Mets were in a normal division and had a 10-game lead, we'd look at a series loss to the Nationals and say, yeah, it sucked, no big deal. But it is a big deal. It's a big deal because the Atlanta Braves, to their credit, swept the Miami Marlins, and now this lead is down to a game, something we haven't seen in a long time. I know it was a half game at one point, but a one-game lead, it's always seemed to be over the last few weeks in that two- to four-game range. That's where the Mets have kept the Atlanta Braves. Now, all of a sudden, it's a game. Now, before we get into this weekend and how crappy it was, I want to tell you that as we sit here right now, in the middle of the night, as we record this, in my car, at a motel, I actually still feel confident about this team. I'll say it. I'm not going to come in here and tell you about, ah, oh, we're going to blow the division. It's the same old Mets. It's the 2000 collapse or the 2007 collapse or the 2008 collapse. I actually don't feel that way. They had a bad weekend. They haven't hit now for a few weeks, which we'll get into. But I still look at who they're going to play and I still trust what this team has done all year to where I say, look, logic prevails. They're going to win this division. The Braves schedule is actually has some difficulty in it. They have a West Coast trip. They've got to play a bunch of games against the Philadelphia Phillies. And more than that, more than looking at the Braves schedule, because the truth is the Braves have beaten everybody in their way. I trust this team. This was a crappy weekend. We'll spend most of the podcast discussing how crappy it was. 
but I don't think that should cloud our judgment on what this team has done in the other 129 games they've played coming into this weekend against Washington. Now, with that said, this was as bad as they've played in a three-game stretch all season long. And it started on Friday. You know, despite the fact that they won the first game of this series, think about this, and I, and I won't use the Dodgers series as an example because the Mets are playing the best team in baseball and they won two out of three, so to nitpick that series wouldn't necessarily be fair. But if you look at the Rocky series, and we kind of said it coming out of it, there were a lot of things that happened in that four-game series in which we said, boy, they got to be better, starting with the fact they didn't score enough runs. Well, you go to the opener of this series – Number one, we watched them blow the lead. <laughs> that was that was frustration part number one, and then they got bailed out in the sixth inning. Pete Alonso hits a home run. They score a bunch of runs. They break the game open. Brandon Nimmo hits the RBI triple. But they played stupid baseball. Like that Tomas Nito play, I still can't figure out. And I love Tomas Nito, but Tomas Nito on a strikeout, in which the runner can run to first base because the base isn't occupied, decides to try to pick off the runner from third, and there's nobody covering third. And that was one of those plays, like, when it happened, and that made it 3-2 to two at the time. And they were actually able to maintain the lead. Then they gave up the lead in inning later when Vargas got that RBI double and they chased David Peterson out. But that play was so mind-numbingly dumb. And it could have been a lot worse to Peterson's credit. And that's why I thought on Friday night, David Peterson actually pitched fairly well considering the line was five and a third innings, three runs, and he ends up giving up the lead in the sixth inning. Tomas Nito's mistake of throwing the third base on a strikeout in which, A, you're trying to pick a guy off, you have no chance to pick off. B, there's nobody on third base. But worse than that, you just had a guy strike out and by throwing the third base... You have to pick that guy off because you've given up the, the out. You've given up the strikeout because he's running the first base. It was so dumb. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, it was so dumb. And look, when the Mets break the game open in the sixth inning after the Nationals tie it, it's easy to forget about it. And it's easy to say, hey, look, the Mets took care of business. They beat up Josiah Gray. The bullpen did a good job after Peterson came out. Michael Givens pitched really well after Peterson gave up the lead. Great, it's a nice victory. But that is losing baseball. And little did I know, I didn't know this at the time, the losing baseball was going to continue, that we were going to see that on Saturday and Sunday. But the reason they lost Saturday and Sunday wasn't just the bad defense or the losing baseball, it's the offense. And, and I know at times this season, we've looked at this offense and said, they're not good enough. We are now dealing with a stretch of games, and I took two sample sizes, whichever one you want to look at. And I know that you could pick any part of the season and say, oh, since this date, a team has this record, or since this date, this team has done this or that. Well, here's what I'm looking at as a Met fan with this offense. Over the last 12 games, and it really started with the Yankee series, okay, starting with the two games against the New York Yankees, the Mets have played 12 games. They are 6-6 six and six in those 12 games, which was all fine until they lost two out of three to the Nationals. But in those 12 games of going 6-6, six and six, they've scored 36 runs. That's three runs a game. That's not acceptable. 
You want to go back a little further? Go back to the Philly series at City Field, the series the Mets actually won. Remember, they lost that Friday night. They came back and won Saturday and Sunday. Since that point, they've played 23 games. Their record is 12 and 11. 500, obviously, or a little over 500. They've scored 82 runs in those 23 games. That's 3.56 runs per game. That's not good enough. But the one that jumps out at you is just this weekend. Because you're facing Patrick Corbin, who's put together one of the worst seasons maybe in the history of baseball. You could argue Patrick Corbin's season as a starting pitcher is as bad as it gets because they continue to run him out there every five days. Normally, if you have a record, hold on, I wrote this down, at least in my scorebook I have it. He came into the game with a record of 5-17 and 17 with a 6.56 ERA. That's not effing human. Like, no one has stats that bad. And the Mets made Patrick Corbin, outside of Escobar's home run, look like freaking Sandy Koufax. They made him look like the Patrick Corbin of five years ago, and they got a break when Davey Martinez took his ass out of the game. But, oh, yeah, they couldn't hit Carl Edwards, even though he's walking the leadoff hitter on five pitches. So this offense on Saturday, putrid against Patrick Corbin. Putrid. You want to rip out him out of Eno? You want to say, oh, look, that's the Adam Adovino we were all afraid of. Look, it's fine. He hung one to Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas hit one out. He pimped it. He did the whole thing. They couldn't score runs. They didn't lose Saturday's game because of Adam Adovino. They didn't lose Saturday game Saturday's game because Max Scherzer left after five, and we'll address that injury coming up. They lost Saturday's game because they faced Patrick Corbin, Carl Edwards, and Erasmo Ramirez, and they scored one freaking run. Pete Alonso has disappeared. It is what it is. I love Pete. Pete Alonso has done next to nothing. And really, it's everybody. I mean, I, I, could go, I could sit here and go up and down this lineup over this weekend. We could rip all of them. They've all sucked. No one's hitting. The DHs are terrible. Darren Ruff can't hit lefties. Daniel Vogelbach's looking at fastballs right down the freaking middle. He can't do anything. And against a bad pitcher and a bad bullpen on Saturday, they couldn't score runs. You look at Sunday's game, it's easy to kill Carlos Carrasco because Carlos Carrasco throws three pitches, four pitches, and we're down one nothing. And that sucks. That's the old Carlos Carrasco. That's the Carlos Carrasco from last year. It's easy to look at the fourth inning and Jeff McNeil booting what should have been an easy double play ball. Screwed the whole inning up. Then it looks like Carrasco is going to get through when he strikes out Luke Voigt. And then, boom, the back-breaking base hits to Kiebert Ruiz and Vargas. And the whole thing sucked. And it's easy to kill Carlos Carrasco. But again, you're facing Eric Fetty. You're facing Hunter Harvey. You're facing the Nationals, and you do nothing offensively? The only run you can get is a sacrifice fly by Jeff McNeil? So look, Carlos Carrasco, yeah, he stunk on Sunday. Adam Adovino, sure, he hung a slider, and it got pounded over the fence by Lane Thomas. Jeff McNeil's defense the last two days, absolutely. Tomas Nito's dumbass pickoff attempt on Friday, absolutely. Max Scherzer gets hurt. Sucks. They can't freaking hit. Now, do I think that's going to change? Because, again, they're going to face more mediocre pitching. No, they they didn't beat the Nationals. And, by the way, I don't want to hear about how Patrick Corbin is mixing his pitches up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about Eric Fetty throwing a slider mark. Shut up. 
The Mets sucked. I don't want to give any credit. There are certain guys I'll give credit to. You face the Atlanta Braves. You want to give credit to Max Fried. He's earned that. I'll even give credit to that loud-talking Spencer Strider, who's been outstanding. His last performance was unbelievable. But I'm sorry. I'm not giving credit to Patrick Corbin. I'm not giving credit to Eric Fetty. The Met offense did nothing. That's what it came down to. And look, there are certain guys I think you look at and you worry about. Darren Ruff has done very little for us. So it's fair to say, hey, is Darren Ruff going to wake up in it left-handed pitching? The third base situation, Escobar has actually shown a pulse over the last few days. The home run on Friday, the home run on Saturday. Uh, he had one hit on Sunday, but look, Eduardo Escobar is showing a pulse. Luis Guillerme is coming back, but look, Luis Guillerme is coming back for his glove more than it even is his bat. They're not getting any production out of catcher. Again, I don't think that's going to change. So what they need simply is they need their guys. The guys that Buck Showalter puts out in the lineup every single day, one through four, to hit. Brandon Nimmo, who overall, you look at his offensive numbers this season, I mean, they're okay. They're not as good as what we expect from Brandon Nimmo when he's healthy. They need Nimmo to hit and get on base. They need Starling Marte to hit. They need Francisco Lindor, who went through that long extended slump, came up big in the Dodgers series, got robbed on Sunday, hit a ball that I thought was getting out, and Victor Robles made a great catch. They need Lindor to hit. But more than that, the guy you circle, the guy you kind of put the name in bold and say, that guy's got a hit, is Pete Alonzo. He is their best player. He is their best slugger. And he leads this offense. This offense goes where Pete goes. He's got a hit. So, yeah, they're going to face a lot of crappy pitching. They're going to face the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're going to face Mitch Keller. They're going to face guys they should beat up over the next three days. To a lesser degree, the Miami Marlins, but still, you should beat the Miami Marlins. The Chicago Cubs, the Pittsburgh Pirates again. But let this weekend be a reminder that just because the team you're facing sucks, and just because the pitchers you're facing sucks, doesn't mean you get to roll out of bed and score seven runs. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Now, does this sound like I'm panicking? I'm not panicking. I'm disgusted. It was a crappy weekend. The weekend was awful. And it's not helped out by the Braves aren't doing us any favors, nor should we expect the Braves to do us any favors. They're a good team. They played the Marlins. They beat the Marlins. It would have been nice if the Mets got a favor. You know, Saturday night, Kenley Jansen loads the bases up with nobody out. Marlins can only score one run and tie it. It'd be nice to see the Marlins break it open. 
but we can't expect that. What we need, though, is this offense to wake the F up. Now, Hoff, you've been nervous about this Met offense. I think you were singing the alarm bells uh, a month ago. Are you worried after this weekend? Are you worried that this offense will continue to no-show like we've seen over the sample sizes I gave out? So so the worry is, is like... It's not even the offense. It's more about the competition that we're going to play over the next month because what you've said is 100% correct. Like, this weekend was embarrassing. We should not be losing to Patrick Corbin or anybody else on the Washington Nationals. And the next month is filled with a lot of subpar teams. But yet, the concern is... Who's going to step up this final month of the season? Who's going to want to show up and prove that, hey, you know, we we should be major league level, you know, players and whatnot. And in doing so, they're playing against the Mets who are in a playoff race and they're willing that these players are willing to step up and go above and beyond. And I need to see that fight from the Mets. And I, so I, I have a level of concern. Now, is it the biggest concern? Eh. Not as much as others. Like I'm still listen, and not to try to compare apples to apples, but like Yankees, that division, they're not doing enough for me to be. To if I'm a Yankee fan right now, I'm still very nervous of the division. I think the Mets will fight. They've proven it all year. They're fighters. However, they're playing kids this final month, so that does concern me. Yeah, look, the Nationals, to their credit, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here giving them too much credit. I, I'll give some of their position players credit. Uh, you got guys fighting for their baseball livelihoods, and I've seen this a lot in September. You get certain rebuilding teams that have veteran players that are going through the motions, and they can't wait for the season to end. And then you face other teams playing out the string where you've got guys, whether it's a Joey Manessis, who's a great example because he's a rookie and he's 30 or 31, whatever he is, he's trying to prove he's a major leaguer. So you do have kind of the dangers of facing those bad teams, those teams that are playing out the string. Look, the Mets should win a hell of a lot more games than they lose over this stretch of time. I think what concerns me is not that this offense won't wake up. Because, I, I look, I, I think that they're relying on their best players. That's really what has to change. Pete Alonzo was slumped now for a couple of weeks. They need him to wake up. What concerns me is, and I remember asking you uh, right after the Dodgers series, and I threw it out there, and we have to own what we say. Hey, the Mets are about to play 16 games against really bad teams. What's an acceptable number in those 16 games? And I think the number I put out there was 12-4. and four. And I think you put something out there very similar. Well, right now to get to 12 and 4, they got to win 11 out of their next 13, which they can do. They're facing bad teams. But here's the element to all of this that's complicated. What do they have to do to win the division? Because the Braves are a part of this equation too. What's the number? Because that's the only number that matters. And I've said this before on the Rico. These Brave games are as important as the games the Mets play. Now, obviously, the Mets have to take care of business. If the Mets take care of business, they can't lose ground. It's as simple as that. But you also need the Atlanta Braves to cooperate. Because the Mets could go 11-2 and in the next 13 games. They could. What if the Braves go 13-0? and Because if they do, the Mets aren't in first place. So that's why this division may not be the Mets blowing it more than it is the Braves taking it. Now, I got the Braves schedule in front of me. They go on a West Coast trip. 
in which they play, starting right now, they go out west. They have an off day on Labor Day. They play two games in Oakland. They're a crappy team. We get it. But it's still on the road west coast. They've got three games in Seattle, playoff contender. And they've got three games in San Francisco, who just did a good job against the Phillies. What are they going to do in those eight games? I got no freaking idea. I mean, what can we expect them to do in those eight games? And what are the Mets going to do in their eight games? Because that's all that matters. In the next eight games, or three games, whatever sample size you want to look at, are the Mets going to have a better record than the Atlanta Braves? Because the margin for error is gone. The trip-up weekend that the Mets just had cut their lead from 3-1. to Like, there's no... Hey, they had a bad weekend, no big deal. And I get it, most other divisions give you that ability to trip up. The 2000 Mets, had, the 2006 Mets had the ability to trip up. The 2015 Mets had the ability to trip up. The Atlanta Braves, to their credit, they're the defending world champions. They've won how many divisions in a row? They're giving the Mets no ability to trip up. And that's something we have to keep in mind. It's normal for a really good baseball team to lose to a really bad baseball team in a three-game series. That hasn't happened in the New York Mets all season long. I laid it out before. They haven't lost the series to a bad team all year. The worst team they lost the series to before this weekend was the San Francisco Giants. Seriously. And that was before they started collapsing. Was who? What was the other bad team they lost the series to? They haven't. So look, If this is the only series they lose during this stretch of time, then we'll all be happy. Or at least we think we'll be happy because it depends what the Braves do. And so that's what makes this race, yes, it's exciting. It's a real back and forth pennant race, but it's dangerous. They're damn good. And we can't sit here and expect them to lose games because they haven't. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong, Evan, because I I agree to the fact that you're talking about these teams – they travel the Mets and whatnot, and the the Braves are gonna go to Oakland, right? We're talking about the the Yankees went to Oakland, and they didn't do very well out in Oakland. But you tell me if it's different. The New York Yankees coming to town. Let's uh, just let's try to play our best baseball, or the Atlanta Braves coming to town, and we're gonna try to play our best baseball. You're the champs. Like, You're the but, champs. But, but are they really, though? Is it that much difference? Like, there's a difference between the Yankees coming to town, even the Mets coming to town, than yeah, the Braves. I, I'm sorry. I look, I, I don't expect necessarily the Oakland A's to be pumped up to face the Atlanta Braves, though the fact they're the world champions. I, I look more, when I look at the Braves' schedule, and then this is where the Mets really do have the advantage, if we're, if we're being honest about this. Going into when they play, which is September 30th, October 1st, October 2nd, we are looking at a stretch of games in which the Mets are playing nothing but bad teams outside of the Brewers. They have a series against the Brewers. They're a quality team. The Atlanta Braves, I mentioned the West Coast trip. Forget the Oakland A's because they are a bad team, and I, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think they see the Braves on the calendar, and they're all pumped up. They play three games in Seattle against the Mariners. That's a playoff team. They play three games in San Francisco against the Giants. They're at least a quality team. Wilmer Flores had a walk-off the other day against David Robertson. And then here's the real key to all of this. And I don't know how I feel about it because the Phillies have been this perennial September choker. They've got to play the Philadelphia Phillies seven times. Seven times! They got to play them three times in Atlanta. They got to play them four times in Philadelphia. Now, they also get to play the Nationals seven times, and I doubt the Nationals will have success against them like they did against the Mets. But 
by looking at that and what the Braves are facing, even if they lose a handful of times, if the Mets can beat what's ahead of them, which is Pittsburgh and Miami and Chicago and Pittsburgh and Oakland and Milwaukee and Miami, you would think logically, and I maybe I shouldn't use logic, I'm a Met fan, that going into that Brave series with six games to go, the Mets should be in a better position standing-wise than they are today. And if they are, we should be thrilled. Because if they can go into that series against the Braves, I said on the air recently, I would sign for being a game up on the Atlanta Braves going into that series. Because the ball would be in the Mets' court. All they'd have to do is win one game, and even if they lost two out of three, they'd be tied for first place with the tiebreaker going into the final weekend of the year where the Mets actually play the Nationals again. Um, But looking at who the Braves are facing and who the Mets are facing, if the Mets can get their heads out of their asses and take care of business, logic says they should be in a real good position standings-wise going in to that three-game series in Atlanta. And this is something, and I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm like uh, pumping my chest or whatever because I never want to do that as a Mets fan because I don't think we deserve it. I don't think we've, 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 gotten to that point where we can just put ourselves above other teams. However, even though the division is still up for grabs right now, the one thing I'm very confident is the Mets are playoff bound. So no matter what happens, even if they blow something, yeah. they're still in the playoffs and I'm still confident. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, that the worst case scenario right now for this team would be hosting three games in a wild card series. But that's not a place I want to be in. It's not a place you want to be in. And I think what adds to it is that if I would have said at the beginning of the season, hey, the Mets are going to win 100 games, they're going to win a wild card, and they're going to host all three games in a wild card series, we'd all be pretty excited about it. But here's the thing that changes it. The New York Mets have had a wire-to-wire season. Literally. Outside of one day, Four games into the season, or it was five games into the season, the Mets have been in first place every day of the year. They haven't shared it. They've been in first place since basically April 9th. And so it is tough to have a season like that. Again, Mets aren't choking anything. The Braves have been really taking it, and I think we all acknowledge it. And it could be very similar to what happened with the Dodgers and Giants last year, where you win 106 games and don't win the division. Like, that is on the table if the Atlanta Braves just win every single day and the Mets win every single day. Uh, It's conceivable to win 105 games and not win this division. But as a fan, when you spend the entire spring and the entire summer and you come out of Labor Day, or at least go into Labor Day, in first place in a division, it's tough to say, well, we had a great year, but yeah, we had it the whole year, but we didn't win it in September. There's a mental aspect of that. Now, can the Mets you know, win the wild card series, beat the Dodgers in the divisional series and go win. Of course, it's baseball. I get that. The Nationals in 2019 had to win a wild card game, then went out, beat the Dodgers in five, and we all know what happened. They won a World Series. But I think mentally, it would be a massive disappointment to not win this division. It just would. And everything that goes along with it, the difficulty of the series that you're about to be in, but more than that, the fact that mentally, we had it this entire season. You know, first place the entire year. Now, I'm not conceding the division. I'm not saying the match. Like right now, quote unquote, gun to my head, I still think we win this division. I trust this team. 
I trust this team to take care of business against the Pirates coming up a bunch of times. They play the Pirates seven times, essentially. I trust them. And I even, believe it or not, I trust them in Atlanta. The Mets have done a great job against the Braves this season. They're 9-7 and seven against them. All they've got to do is win one game in that series to ensure that they own the tiebreaker, which is monumental because you win the tiebreaker, you could finish in a tie and still win the division. So I sit here today trusting this team. Now, there was a scare this weekend with Max Scherzer, and that scared the crap out of me. And I was, I got to tell you, I was very annoyed. I don't like to take shots at the broadcast because I think Gary, Keith, and Ron do a great job. But they're talking about something else. I was not at the games this weekend. Like I mentioned, I'm in a car right now. I was visiting my family. So I didn't go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All the games were on TV for me. Um, they showed Tommy Hunter warming up in the bullpen in the bottom of the fifth inning and just passingly said, oh yeah, Tommy Hunter's warming up and they go back to whatever they're talking about. And I'm screaming at the TV, excuse me, what? Why the F is Tommy Hunter warming up? Max Scherzer has barely thrown any pitches. He's pitched very well. Uh, this doesn't make sense. Like, is Tommy Hunter trying to get his work in or something? Like, why, why Why is he warming up? And unless I miss something, unless I muted it by accident, there is no references to what the hell is going on. Now, maybe they don't know what's going on, but you could at least acknowledge that, hey, Tommy Hunter is warming up. So that kind of annoyed me. Then Max is out of the game, and now I'm refreshing Twitter constantly, like, what's up with him? What's wrong with him? And when I heard the, I think they phrased it as his side was tired. I think that's what they said, like his side, which I don't, I don't know what that means, Pete. Hoff, has your side ever been tired? Uh, it was actually, if I'm correct, it was the word fatigued, and that's a word that my wife, my wife hates when I say that. Sometimes I, I tell her, that, like, my body is a little bit fatigued, I feel fatigued, and she goes, what the fuck does that mean? I'm sorry to curse, but she doesn't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Go, it's, 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 I don't know, it's fatigued. So, I, I don't know, but yes, I understand. I, I was sort of relieved when I heard it, only because it didn't involve his arm, and it didn't involve his elbow, and it wasn't, you know, like a pulled hamstring. Obviously, you have concerns about what he just dealt with with his side issues, but it seemed in the wording, okay, not the end of the world. Now, Max obviously says after the game he was being extra cautious. He figured this time of year, why not be extra cautious? And I completely agree with him. And, and again, as we discussed earlier, the Mets did not lose that game because Max came out after five. In fact, Tommy Hunter did his job. Joely Rodriguez did his job. It was Adam Adovino that didn't do his job. But really, the offense didn't do its job. They didn't score any runs for Max Scherzer. They didn't hit Patrick Corbin. So, you know, looking back at that game, they didn't necessarily lose because of Max Scherzer or their bullpen. They lost because they didn't hit. Um, I don't know if he should make his next start. I got to be honest with you. I know all these games are obviously very important, as we just discussed, but you cannot put yourself in a situation in which six days from now, Max Scherzer's on the mound and re-aggravates that side and it's back to square one. You can't lose him. So you have a rotation, which has not been the problem, let's face it. Jacob DeGrom has been fine every five days. Taiwan Walker, Taiwan Walker's been average every five days. He has not collapsed the way he collapsed a year ago, no doubt. But he's been very mediocre. I mean, he's a five and two thirds, three runs kind of guy every five days, which, you know, if the Mets are hitting, is not a problem. 
back of the rotation, not a problem. David Peterson, I think, has mostly been really good. Like I mentioned, I thought he was impressed. Because I was impressed by David Peterson, especially because of the defensive mistakes behind him, the Tomas Nito play on Friday. So Peterson's fine. Walker's fine. Chris Bassett's fine. DeGrom is fine. Carrasco's first start back wasn't great, but overall he's been fine. So skipping him when you already have six guys in your rotation, to me, is not a big deal. You know, I, 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 it's not as if I'm saying I don't take these games seriously. I take them very seriously. I'm just saying the negative to him pitching and not missing a start and God forbid re-aggravating this hip or whatever it is, is catastrophic. So I'm sure a lot of people listening disagree with me saying, come on, this is why he's here. Put him out there in five days. Do you feel that way, Peter? Are you good with being a little conservative and skipping him his next time out? So the problem I have is when he went through his dead arm phase last year, one of the problems was he didn't pitch enough. Right. So right. that concerns me. That is an issue. But, but, but here's the thing about that. And I totally get it. And it's interesting how guys are so different in terms of what keeps them sharp and what they need going into October. A lot of guys need rest. Max Scherzer is one of those guys saying, hey, you got to pitch me more. I'm not saying to cut down on his pitch count or cut down on his innings. I'm merely saying one start on September 8th or whatever day it would fall, skip him. You still have almost a month of baseball. <laughs> you still have a bunch of Max Scherzer starts. And I think we saw in the Colorado game last Sunday, you can still push him. So I'm not even saying shut him down for two starts. I just think, why not be extra conservative? It'll be interesting to see what the Mets do, because the Mets have rotation decisions to make anyway. They've got six guys, you know, assuming everybody's healthy. And as soon as you assume that, obviously somebody gets hurt. But assuming everybody's legitimately healthy, Buck Showalter's got a few options. Number one is he literally can just keep a six-man rotation going. Uh, the Mets have an off day after the Pittsburgh series, but then they don't have another off day until September 21st. So by going with a six-man rotation, you give DeGrom an extra day. You give Scherzer an extra day. You give all these guys an extra day. Or, if everybody's healthy, you can try the David Peterson bullpen experiment because Joely Rodriguez is the only lefty in the bullpen. I don't think you have to be as worried anymore about keeping Peterson stretched out because once they take that off day, on September 22nd, the Mets have two more off days after that. Like the Mets legitimately could have a four-man rotation, not even need a fifth guy. So obviously you would need a sixth guy with all the off days that are going on. Uh, I haven't mapped it out yet in terms of who you have facing the Atlanta Braves and who you have facing Washington. And I can't map it out because I think this turnaround may be a six-man rotation and we're seeing how Buck's kind of handling things. But I think once we get to right around the Pittsburgh weekend, not the series coming up against the Pirates, but the series at City Field in a week and a half, you can sort of see, all right, let's map this thing out. Because that matters now. you got three games against the Atlanta Braves. I assume you're going to want Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom pitching in both, or both of them pitching in that series, and specifically having one of them go on Friday the 30th so they could be lined up to pitch game 162. I mean, let's just be simple math here. You want your best starting pitcher, whether you deem it Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer, let Buck make that decision to at least potentially be available in a game 162, depending on the circumstances. Um, if you're a game behind, you probably don't make the decision to pitch your best pitcher because then you use him 
and you wouldn't have him available right out of the gate in the wild card series. So it, it really depends on what's on the line in game 162. To me, if you're a win and you win the division in, I'd probably say, F it, I'm using my best arm. You're facing the Nationals, you go for it. But that's a discussion for a podcast down the road. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I guess we'll see how they handle this rotation. It looks like Buck wanted to go six man, give everybody an extra day or two. Uh, and then we'll see how Max Scherzer is, but luckily it seems like he's okay. And whether he makes his next start against, I guess it would be the pirate series or the Marlins series. One of the, one of the games, um, hopefully it's nothing extended and this rotation continues to be healthy because as much as we fret about the offense and fret about the bullpen this rotation is why the Mets have a chance to win a World Series. It's the reason that other teams may fear the New York Mets. The idea of staring at Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett in a short series. Um, couple of things. The double play from Sunday's game. For those who missed it, this just drove me freaking nuts. So the Mets are down 7-1. And I'm sure a lot of people listening may have shut the game off. I'm done. It's a Sunday afternoon. I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to go hang out with my family. I don't want to watch this. The Mets are down 7-1. It's either the 7th or 8th inning. Let me pull out my scorecard because I was still scoring it. <laughs> uh, I think it was the 7th inning. Hold on one sec. Yeah, 7th inning. They're down 7-1. They get the first two guys on base. Jeff McNeil single. Mark Hanna single. And, you know, there's a part of me thinking, hey, why not? We've seen this team come back. We saw them come back against the Phillies numerous times. We've seen that great comeback against the Giants, even though they didn't win that game. You're facing the Nationals. at 7-1. The game's not over. They have first and second, nobody out, and Eduardo Escobar hits a fly ball to left field. The left fielder, Cesar Hernandez, who's not a left fielder, drops the ball. Okay? As that ball hits his glove, my brain is already working. Holy crap, we're going to do this. Wow. Bases loaded, nobody out, down by six. Here we go. We're going to do this. As he drops the baseball, you see him pick it up quickly and throw to third base. There's nobody even going towards third. Jeff McNeil is supposed to be the guy going to third base. He's not running. He stopped. He's confused. The third baseman, Vargas, tags McNeil, and then Marcana's confused and tags Marcana. Now, I'm thinking, what the F just happened? So clearly the umpire never made a definitive signal on if it was a catch or not, in which it was clearly a catch. There was no transfer. He dropped the freaking ball. And when I talked earlier about dumb baseball and sloppy baseball, and I mentioned Jeff McNeil not turning the double play, or the Tomas Nito pickoff attempt, or McNeil blowing the rundown on Saturday night, Jeff's had a great defensive season. He did not have a great defensive weekend. 
the other thing that was ugly was this. Like, I get it. A drop pop-up in left field is strange. It's weird. You're not used to it. But the mass confusion on the base paths between McNeil being like, I don't know what to do, and Canna being like, I don't know what to do, and the umpires who really created the whole problem because they've got to signal loudly, it's an out, it's an out. No transfer, even though I don't know how anyone could think it was a transfer. And it turns into a double play. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. That's what, that's, believe it or not, I don't shut games off. That's when I said, I'm done. I'm out of here. All right. I spent way too much time on my Sunday afternoon watching this because now I, now I know, no, this game is over. But I was mad at the base running. I was mad at McNeil. I was mad at Canna. But I also thought as an umpire, and too many umpires do this, they're not definitive in what they're calling. Because if you're on the base paths, you want the umpire who's out there in left field to clearly signal it's it's dropped, you know, the safe sign, if you will. Now, again, my rip of McNeil is, Jeff, what are you looking at? The ball was clearly dropped. <laughs> What's happening? And Buck goes out there. And Buck, yeah, I don't even know what Buck said. I mean, Buck's just conversing with the umpire like, yeah, gee golly, this sucks. But I thought that play was very emblematic. How about that word? Very emblematic of what was just a bad weekend. A bad baseball weekend that hopefully turns around with a series against the Pirates. The good news is Tyler McGill had another rehab game. He looked good out of the bullpen. Bring him up. Bring him up. The Met bullpen, and I know Adovino had a bad night the other night, but specifically Givens and Lugo have actually looked halfway respectable recently. Not that you'll ever fully trust them, but they've looked, both of those guys, halfway decent. So Tyler McGill coming back could add a little wrinkle to this bullpen. But it comes down to this. The old campaign slogan from Paul Begala and James Carville with Bill Clinton in 1992. It's the economy stupid. That was their big line. That's the issue of our day. It's the economy stupid. And with the help of that tagline, but really Ross Perot running, uh, even though they only got like 42% of the vote, Bill Clinton became president. Now, you may think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not going to get into that right now. But I will tell you this. That slogan was brilliant political marketing. It's the economy, stupid. The reason I bring that up, it's the offense, stupid. That is why we are fretting. And the Braves. It's the offense. They got to score freaking runs. They're about to play the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pound them. Mitch Keller is on the mound on Labor Day. Pound him. Pound the entire pirate team. I don't want to hear about O'Neill Cruz and how hard he throws. Beat the Pirates. And because they lost two out of three to the Nationals, I raise the bar and say on this six-game road trip, win five out of six. Sweep either the Pirates or the Marlins. You can lose one game. Now, do I think that's going to happen? I have no idea. But win five out of six. Any other thoughts off? Uh, the only thing I would say is this, is that it's amazing that the playoffs comes down to pitching, but the regular season really does come down to offense. That's really what it comes down to, because pitching will always play in the playoffs. Regular season is all about offense. But the concern, too, like you mentioned, the defense this weekend was so shitty. It was so bad. It was disgusting. And and I can't have that happen. And, and this is where we go back to. You're playing... The, you're playing a Pittsburgh Pirate team, last time we played them, if I'm correct, Tywin Walker crapped the bed. 
and it concerns <laughs> me. It concerns me. Well, I, I have flashbacks of that. Well, in fairness, to your point, the last time the New York Mets played the Pittsburgh Pirates, their season, which looked good at the time, completely went haywire in 2021. Because I think if you ask me right now, what game or what moment turned the 2021 Mets? Maybe you didn't know it at the time, but it turned them. It was actually the last game before the All-Star break when Edwin Diaz blew the game to the Pirates on a Sunday afternoon at City Field. So when I think of the Pirates, you're right, because they haven't played them this season. They're about to play them the seven times this season. They're about to do it in the next week and a half. I do think back to some weird moments in 2021. They broke Taiwan Walker, even though the Mets actually came back in that game, believe it or not. They were down, wasn't it like 6 nothing, 7 nothing in the first inning? They came all the way back. Uh, they broke Taiwan Walker, and they broke the Mets season when they made that comeback on that Sunday uh, at City Field. So hopefully 2022 is a lot different. <laughs> That's for sure. But we'll give you uh, another Rico Bronia after the series ends on Wednesday night. Then we get an off day where we can all watch football with the NFL season starting. And then, oh, my God, I'm thinking about all these Sundays with pennant race baseball, the New York Jets, the New York Giants. You got the Mets in a pennant race. I guess the Yankees are sort of in a pennant race in the American League East, which we'll discuss a lot more on Carton and Roberts when we return on Tuesday. But uh, it is an incredible time of year if you're a sports fan. It's also an incredible time of year if you're a dad or mom because you're really excited to send your kids back to school. I love my kids, but I am so excited that on the Tuesday after Labor Day, I get to drop Jet off at the bus. My youngest son, we're taking to his first school. I guess they give you two weeks where you separate from them. I don't know if you've done this. Like you bring the kid to school. So I'm bringing my youngest Spence to school. You spend a half hour there, then you go home. And you do that for a few days. Then you spend an hour with them, and you go home. Then you leave, but you don't leave. You're watching them, but they can't see you for another week. And then hopefully the process is done, and they're in school. So I love this time of year, Hoff. I've always loved September. I love it even more now. Well, I just was talking about this, by the way. It's like you prayed with during the school season. Like, I cannot wait for the summer to get here. <laughs> summer came and went, thank God, because it was, it was very quick. But it's like, I can't wait for this, the, the, the fall to get here because the summer took so long. The kids have nothing to do. They go to camp, but still they're freaking annoying. I love them. I went on vacation with them. But it is time to separate and get back to reality. So, yes. September is here, school starting, let's go. It's funny, I always, when I was in school, when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, I always loved the fall for the same reasons, or some of the same reasons I love it now. I love the weather, happen to be a bigger fan of autumn than I am the summer. Uh, I'll, I'll, by the way, by the way, hold on, stop being right there. The best weather of all time, full. No 100%, questions asked. 100%. Completely agree with you. Love it. Give me that chill in the air. I love it. I also, look, I'll admit this. I love the changing of the leaves. I think it's beautiful. I think it's just a beautiful time of year. I love the foliage. I'll admit it. Now, as the sports geek that I am, I think it's the best time of year as a sports fan. I really do. You've got baseball pennant races. You have MLB postseason. You have the start of the NFL season. You have the start of college football. You could even, if your brain wants to go this far, think about training camp in the NHL and training camp in the NBA. You have like the unicorn of everything beginning. Now you throw in the school aspect with the kids and you've taken the fall and you've put it over the top. And I admit this. Because I've gotten some crap about this over the last few weeks. I've gotten a few tweets and DMs 
complaining about our vacations. You know, oh, you're off and this and that. I miss be doing the show five days a week. I admit that. I'm glad I had the vacation. I'm glad I spent time with my family. I enjoyed every second of it. But I do miss that grind of every day being at work and going on the radio for four and a half hours. So I'm damn excited about that because we don't take an off date till Thanksgiving. And none of us do. So I'm pumped about that. I'm pumped for the fall. And look, Met fans, as stressful as this is going to be, there's a pennant race. And I've been saying this for months. We are in a pennant race. And the thing about pennant races, there are roller coasters. There are ups, there are downs. And I hate to stand by something I've said throughout the year. And that is there is going to be a day we wake up and we're not in first place. Now, we're getting close to that day because the lead's up to just a game. I do really feel that the back-and-forth nature of this pennant race is going to feature that. The Dodger-Giant race didn't feature a lot of it, but I think the Dodgers were in first place as late as the first week of September. And then the Giants kind of maintained that one, two, three-game lead the rest of the way. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's wire-to-wire. But, boy, I'll tell you, that wire's getting short. Only one game up on the Braves in the NL East. Anyhow, thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We'll be back with another podcast right after the series ends against the Pirates on Wednesday night. Give us any feedback at Evan Roberts WFAN. And what's your, what are you, Hoffman WFAN, Pete? Is that your Twitter account? No, it's at the Hoff WFAN. I can't believe after all this time. After all these 31 episodes, still can't remember. At the Hoff WFAN. Oh, and by the way, to Pete Hoffman, I want to congratulate Pete. Pete Hoffman has officially made the postseason in our Fantasy Baseball League. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, he has lined up if he can get out of his first-round matchup to face me in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, I didn't know that. I I think I'm playing DOS the first round, if I'm correct, which I feel like it's an easy, easy uh, match. But I so we're we're going second round. Is that the, is that the, the is that what's going yes, on? Yes, and there's a lot of pressure on me because I have completed, and I looked this up for anyone that cares, and nobody does care. But it's the end of the podcast. Nobody. Get over it. <laughs> I completed our our fantasy league has been around for 18 years now. In Pete's case, he's been in the league for nine years, so you haven't been there the mm-hmm. entire time. But in the 18 year history of the fantasy league, I finished with the highest winning percentage in the history of this league. Well, I've completed this dominant regular season, but there's a problem. The problem is Tony Gonsolin is on my team. Justin Verlander's on my team. Nick Castellanos is on my team. Max Scherzer's on my team. I mean, I have been bombarded, and that's not an excuse, by the way, but I have been bombarded with injuries at the worst possible time. But if we do meet in the postseason, I fully accept that all of the pressure is on me. Yeah, I, I fully understand that, and I embrace it, and hopefully I will fulfill and win despite that. If I get there, if I beat Hadassi, which I should because he sucks, uh, if, I, if I can't believe he's been – is this the first time Hadassi's ever been in the playoffs, by the way, in your league? Well, first of all, you're talking slanderous about the great Mike Hadassi. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Mike was in our league and actually had the longest playoff crowd of anybody. He missed the playoffs six straight seasons, I think seven straight seasons. But last year made the playoffs. So oh, he is now on year. a okay. two-year run, okay? So give him give him a little bit of credit, man. The guy's made the playoffs in back-to-back years. He has Aaron Judge, who, by the way, he asked, we almost made a swap early this season because my stepson, J.D., offered Bryce Harper, who he has a man crutch on, 
offered Bryce Harper for Aaron Judge, and he came back to me and said, listen, it's a good deal, but I don't think I could do it because of his value, his keeper value. So was almost looking to make that trade. Wow. Thank you to my, my stepson for almost making that happen. Wow. Diehard Med fan, Pete Hoffman, almost <laughs> traded for Aaron Judge. That's your headline. Uh. We'll, we'll keep everybody posted on how this goes in fantasy, but don't worry. We'll save it to the end of the Rico Bronya where you can literally just shut the podcast off and not listen. We have nothing <laughs> to uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll be back Tuesday with Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>